Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. That's like what's always been very confusing to me about T-Rex, honestly. Like, yeah. they're an apex predator, but you look at your arms and you're like, man, what are you doing with like, those? Come on, man. Those like, are just silly. Hi, welcome back. Yeah, welcome back to the Random Theory Podcast. I'm Grace. I'm Josh. And together we explore random science things with our science pals, which is you, our listener. You listener, (laughs) our science pal. Yeah, exciting. A full year, another year. year. Talked about some crazy things. Yeah, we did talk. uh, Podcast wise, we definitely talked about some real crazy things. And there's still more to uncover. And somehow still more... Uh, probably some more pee podcasts coming at you. Probably somehow, some way. Somehow, somehow, there's another thing to talk about involving urine. But yeah, it's it was an exciting year. It was, and what we like to do at the end of the year is wrap up uh, ten science topics that notable really, events. Yeah, really impressed us this year. Yeah, last year we had sadly we there was yeah. the Doug news. Doug the potato. Doug was the not potato. A potato. He was a gourd. It turned out to be a gourd. We talked about him. Really but devastating stuff. It was a big blow. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, how you how you doing? I'm good. We're recording this before the holiday season, yeah. so that this will come out after Christmas. The day after Christmas. So the Merry day. Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Merry Merry Christmas yesterday. Yes, but we're you know Josh and I are both traveling, and we wanted to make sure. The our editors that do this podcast yeah. could do their thing too. So, you know, yeah, it is exciting. I I know the our, our editor that edits this podcast is going to see his brother. Yes, who edits the our normal YouTube videos, which is kind of cool. Um, and they said they haven't spent time together since um, two years. It's been two years since they spent time. I together. really hope they send us a picture. But yeah, we're, we're recording this early. We recorded yep. two other ones that you've. Probably well, heard you've, already. You've heard one. The other one's coming out next week. Yep. Because, yeah, we're just trying to round out the end of the year so we can all get on with all of our I can't believe we're here. Stuff. I know, right? It's kind of crazy. This year has definitely felt one, like one that taken forever, but also like, oh, yeah. it blew by. You know, it didn't yeah. go fast enough. I don't know. This year no. to me, I just feel like, because we had a lot of changes with, if you watch our YouTube channel, T-Core, yeah. we had a lot of changes that happened yeah, this past year. Uh, yeah. And I feel like you and I have just been running, trying <laughs> yeah. to get our feet underneath <laughs> us. And I feel yeah. like finally we're we're stabilizing. We're figuring it out. A we're figuring it out. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, a year later we have done the thing. And like yeah. there have been so many learning curves, but yeah. it's all good. It is all good. Definitely and all good. It was a year of growth. That is for sure. Big growth. I was not expecting such a year of growth. No. But it really was. Yeah. So before we get into some some cool facts, should we read some reviews, some yeah, ratings? Yeah, the rating and reviews from yeah. the last ratings and reviews of 2022. I've got an email. Okay. From our email, randomtheorypod at gmail.com. And this is actually, this is coming from a mom. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. That's sick. And they're writing in, they included a review from their son 
who I guess has written us on Apple Podcasts. Oh, cool. And I recognized the name. <laughs> the email comes from Tara, which okay. is the, I, the mom's name. And her son's name is Alex. Alex and Tara. So the email starts out and just says, from my son, Alex. Hi, guys. My name is GCU. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But my real name is Alex. In my first rating review, I left a joke saying, knock, knock. Who's there? Banana. Banana who? Knock, knock. Who's there? Banana. Banana who? Knock, knock. Who's there? Banana. Okay, it goes on. I'm not kidding. He put a paragraph in here. It ends with uh knock knock who's there orange orange who orange you glad i didn't say banana <laughs> i remember uh, that one very vividly after you called it a classic little kid or a classic little kid knock knock joke which is funny because i am a little kid <laughs> i'm only nine years old you guys rock one uh, i don't even know what number that is out of five stars <laughs> It's like That's one. That's amazing. I don't even quadrillion. Who knows? I'm so um, glad we know GCUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUVUV
And if you don't want to send an email, you can leave us a rating and review there. And if you're listening to this podcast, please, you don't have to leave a review every single time. If you love the podcast, that would be fantastic. But leaving a a rating every single time you listen to the podcast helps us out so much. Like our big goal for 2023 is to really have the podcast explode. And the only way we can do that is with your guys's help yes so sending this to your friends that you think they'll enjoy leaving us a rating um and then leaving us a review about a podcast topic or a joke that you you really like so this one comes from foxy 3021 and they titled it awesome okay five stars five thanks foxy they said i love this podcast and it's very awesome you should all listen to it i even subscribe to it nice sweet Thanks, Foxy. Thank you so much, Foxy, uh, especially for that subscription. That's yeah, huge. That's so um, big. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you're subscribed to it so you get it yeah. automatically when it drops Monday at midnight mm-hmm. on podcast platforms. Also, something new coming to you all this year. Yeah. It's going to be called Snappy Science. Snappy Science. Short uh what like middle of the week yeah middle of the week pods one one episode yep middle of the week that's gonna be just like what like five minutes probably yeah whatever like it's basically gonna kind of be how like what we're doing here where we find a topic or something scientific happens this week or something big in the world yeah and we just kind of talk about it it's a quick snappy little segment yeah it'll be either given to you by me or josh and it's basically just to keep you informed about cool things happening what's going on yeah yeah just an additional fact. Yes. One more thing you can add to your party, <laughs> annoying party quiver. Yes. Of, of, <laughs> quiver, of, what a good word. I know, right? I just busted that out. <laughs> but yeah, so that is coming first week of January, right? Yep. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't actually recorded one yet, but... Because yeah. they have to be recorded in real time. That's the, that's true. That's the hard part is it'll be a quick... It's a quick turnaround. Yeah. It is what it is, you but it's it is audio right. only. So if you watch us on YouTube, sorry, yeah, you have to scoot your. Booty you're gonna over. you're gonna have to slide over to a podcast platform of your choice to hear Snappy Science. Snappy Science. Should we get into the wrap up? I feel like we should. I feel like it's time. It's time. Okay, so mine mine is human tendons growing on robot skeletons. That sounds scary. It's very scary, but it's also <laughs> I think really awesome and mind-boggling okay so if someone has ever torn their acl or ripped something in their shoulder their knee a joint going in and repairing it is really tough it's tough on the body it's a lot of physical therapy so nowadays most transplanted organs or tissues come from a living or deceased donor sometimes even from other parts of a patient's body however in the future all transplant tissues may be grown from scratch ghost stem cells Mm. number one that's like huge here. Yeah. Stem cell science is very new and progressive. We so. talked about, I don't remember what episode that was, but we there was an episode we were I think it raving, was last year. raving about stem cells. Yeah. I think it was a wrap up last year. We talked about was it really? them growing ears. We did talk. I Human do remember ears, the yeah. ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So scientists have been trying to grow tendons suitable for transplantation into human patients in laboratories for years. Although they've grown tissues successfully, aka ears... Yeah. different skin cartilage like they've done a lot of that yeah um they have not had the same robustness 
as human cells. That is because naturally growing tissue undergoes constant stress. So when a person moves around, the tissues are compressed, stretched, twisted, and this improves their flexibility and function. Right. All right, yeah. We got some real robust cells going on. Yeah. So like think about like the tendons in your body. They need to be like moved around, which I think is really interesting. So to yeah. create a more successful tissue, science has developed a platform that mimics the motion of the body. So this came from the journal communications engineering mm. journal people. Them. Yeah. Yeah. So an artificial tendon. S- supraspinatus. Tendon. Yep. <laughs> was formed by placing a bioreactor atop an artificial shoulder skeleton, which replicated the placement of the supraspacious tendon. <laughs> the tendon that is in your, in shoulder, your shoulder. I assume. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And after 14 days of it growing, the shoulder moved around to simulate uh, the natural movement of a shoulder. Okay. Which is amazing. So, yeah, that's really, it was literally just like they grew it on something that then artificially moved. To- yeah. And then surgeons were able to go in and just like take it and then put it and in. And put it in. And oh. it's already ready to be moved around and it's been stretched and it's. It's like when people make uh, taffy. And yeah, you have to yeah, like yeah, work yeah, 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 yeah. You know? exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So an analysis of the transcriptome of the cell after 14 days in the reactor uh, revealed increased flexibility and function. They say it'll take a while for us, them to be able to grow completely transplantable tendons, yeah. but building them on these artificial bodies is a great step in the dr- correct direction. Right. Which is fascinating. That's This kind of stuff makes me slightly hopeful for the future. Yes. Blowing a shoulder tendon and then being able to just 3D print one out of stem cells. Right. And put it on an artificial muscle that's moving around yeah. to, to work it into place. Mm-hmm. Like, that's incredible. I think it's so helpful, especially for people like, say, they don't have high mobility. Yeah. This is something that is really good for them because they already have a tendon that's like ready to go. Yeah, that's true. Should we move on to my yeah my first one here? I'm ready. So mine, uh, I was telling Grace because we did five each. Uh, three <laughs> out of my five are space related. Big science guy. Big big space science guy over here, um, <laughs> as you listeners might know. And it was a big year for. There was a lot of space things happening. It was a this big year, space so year. It was a big big space year. I couldn't not mention it. First up is the James Webb. Of course. Telescope, which I have a note here. Technically, it started in 2021. Sure. But the big moments happened in 2022. So the James Webb Space Telescope, also called Webb or JWST, is a large space-based observatory optimized for infrared wavelengths, which will complement and extend the discovery of the Hubble Space Telescope. It will have longer wavelength coverage and greatly improve sensitivity. The longer wavelengths enable Webb to look further back in time to find the first galaxies that formed in the early universe and appear inside dust clouds where stars and planetary systems are forming today. That's so mind-boggling to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, honestly. It's, yeah, it's revolutionary that we it is. have it up in space right now doing its thing. The images that have come back from it are just, yeah. they hurt my head to look at. Yeah. To think that that's like out there. Yes. Like if the the one for me, I what did they, it's like the pillars of creation or whatever. Yeah. Just looking at that, I'm like, that is somewhere out there. Yes. Existing. Light years away. While I'm currently sitting here existing. 
writing a podcast. Crazy. Reading a podcast. Right, reading a podcast <laughs> about it. So first up, because I was curious, I was, who the heck is James Webb? Yeah, who is this? Right? Who is you, this guy? <laughs> who is this guy? Why is it called the James Webb? Why him? The telescope is named after James E. Webb, who was actually NASA's second administrator, best known for leading the Apollo missions. Interesting. So. He seems like he should have a telescope. Worthy of a telescope naming, yeah, 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 yeah. I feel. The launch of it actually took place on Christmas Day, mm-hmm. December 25th, 2021. It was launched on the Ariane 5 rocket from the European Space Agency spaceport located near Kourou, French Guiana. Sure. Certain launch constraints meant that there were about 210 days a year spread across the year when Webb had launch windows. Okay. The duration of those windows varied and some only lasted about 90 minutes. That's crazy. So there was only 210 days that they could even launch it. Mm-hmm. And on those days, sometimes they only had 90 minutes to make it happen. That feels very stressful. So yeah, Christmas Day, like it was, <laughs> they were like, yeah, you're working Christmas Day. They were like, this is the best Christmas present ever. <laughs> so then the other big thing, deployment and the first images, the telescope took two weeks after launch to fully deploy in space. The deployment process was incredibly complex and unprecedented and had to be performed really slowly to minimize the risk of something going on or going wrong. And then over the next six months, the telescope was able to calibrate its instruments and then NASA finally released the first deep filled image on July 11th, 2022. The patience of these people. I know, right? Could you? Well, and like literally it's just unfolding and it took two weeks. For it to completely And just like. Some people were just watching a computer, like making sure something didn't yeah. happen, which I think I didn't write it on here, but didn't it? It got hit by something. Yeah. One of its sensors got hit one by of, a, like microscopic tiny little, meteor. But and it was I remember it was like big news and people were like memeing it like, you know, this. No, I think it was funny because it had literally like just released the image yeah. and then like maybe a week later was damaged. Yeah. And like everyone was like really like. Yeah. But. <laughs> The thing is, is NASA was like, well, yeah, we knew that was going to happen. There's 12 other redundancy sensors on it. Don't worry. Like they planned for it to get hit because it's space. space. (laughs) Yeah. That's so cool. Big, big thing this year. That was huge. That will continue on for many, many years. Yeah. Speaking of something else that's kind of world changing. Okay. In its own. I think I feel like most of these are. Yeah. Yeah. Mine is coral reef printers. (laughs) I mean, that sounds rad. Coral reefs are a critical part of our ocean's ecosystem, and they're actually suffering from the effects of human activities, including global climate change, which is a total different conversation for another day that we're not going to get into. We actually talked about coral reefs and how they are important in the fish pee episode. Fish pee. Yeah. They grow from fish pee. They do. Yeah. Reefs account for only 1% of the Earth's total surface, but they sustain the highest level of marine diversity in the world, Mm. which is very important. If our reef system fails, it will have staggering impacts not only on our ocean's ecosystem, but on people all over the world who depend on them. I mean, we already saw like millions of crabs just just die and disappear. Yeah. Just Just gone away. It was national news. Yeah. For for like a day. A day. Yeah. Crabs disappear. And I feel like everyone just turned the other cheek. And that bothers me because a whole species, a stupid amount of crabs just disappeared. 11 billion crabs. Gone. Disappeared. Disappeared. 
this will have impacts beyond like the whole food chain has shifted and changed now. Yeah. The whole food supply chain, not just for humans, but for that ecosystem has changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and and that's the thing. Like if you're a kid or whoever just listening to this podcast and you're like, well, I don't eat crab. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because even a fish you, eats crabs. A fish eat and and even if you don't eat fish, like also this is potentially just indicative of other things to come. Yes. So even if you don't eat uh, Alaskan snow crab, yeah, you might eat the fish that eats that or something else in the ecosystem that depends on the waste of that or yeah. whatever because everything is connected and now 11 billion of these things is just gone. So if our reef system fails, it's going to have staggering impacts not on, only on our ocean's ecosystem but on people all over the world that depend on them. So consequently, conservationists are working hard to come up with new and improved ways to sustain and restore remaining reef systems. So a new paper published in the journal Science of Total Environment reveals how conservationists are using 3D printers to construct customized artificial reefs dude 3d printers man they're they're the amazing future. they they're are the future. future and what's even cooler in this paper it basically it explains how the process begins with scanning the existing reef to identify its core characteristics Ooh. which is important because every reef has its own personality sure, that's sure. important to the fish that are eating off of it yeah and they replicate them as close as possible then using a custom printer built in partnership with the technician institute of technology the reef is laid out but instead of using plastic filament this is what's so big yeah because there are already microplastics in fish that we are eating and we certainly do not want to introduce no we don't need more plastic (laughs) yeah so they're using um terracotta clay because it is more porous and favored by the coralline allergy which helps create coral gotta have the allergy yeah yeah so moreover the printed reefs can be made modular and stacked such that vast portions of coral reefs could be rebuilt while maintaining the structural variety seen in nature how cool is that i just just thinking about old technology new technology like how long has terracotta clay been around as long as Uh, dirt has been around forever yeah Yeah. like literally and now they're using brand new technology of a 3d printer to print out these reefs these reefs that's amazing so next up number four on the list this just happened literally just happened nuclear fusion which i feel like i've been hearing about this for years and i think it is because i feel like every year they kind of get a little they get a little they do a little something else yeah um and that's kind of what this is and i feel like that's with like all of these things on this list it's like it's a step it's one step it's one step closer to something yeah For more than 60 years, scientists have pursued one of the toughest physics challenges ever conceived, harnessing nuclear fusion, the literal power within stars, to generate abundant clean energy here on Earth. So this is like end goal power. Yeah. Like if they do this, we're good. We're good. No more coal, no no more oil. No more any, like we wouldn't need anything. Like solar wouldn't matter, wind... I mean, we'd probably still use it a little bit in places, but like this would change everything. This still blows my mind. So (laughs) (laughs) on December 5th, a massive milestone in this goal was achieved. An array of lasers at the National Ignitions Facility fired 2.05 megajoules of energy at a tiny cylinder holding a pellet of frozen deridium and tritium, which are heavier forms of hydrogen. Mm -hmm. 
The pellet compressed and generated temperatures and pressures intense enough to cause the hydrogen inside it to fuse. In a tiny blaze, lasting less than a billionth of a second, the fusing atomic nuclei released 3.15 megajoules of energy, which was about 50% more than had been put in to heat the pellet. That was huge. Up to this point, it's taken more energy put in by lasers than it created out. Like They just weren't able to achieve that. So, the dream of nuclear fusion power plant is still a very long way off, but the NIF results show that it is possible, at least for a fraction of a second, because this literally only lasted a, a, a billionth of a second. 3.5 megajoules yeah. equals 972 watt hours. Okay, that's a lot. So generally, light bulbs use between 2 and 100 watts of electricity. Okay depending on their size and type. LED bulbs use 2 to 18. So a typical house, essentially, items will average 5,000 to 7,500 watts of power to run. It's not like a lot, In the grand but it's scheme. a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot. But also, you can't just throw a, a laser beam at like no. a giant chunk of this stuff and be like, do your, you know, like, well, yeah, like, I mean, it, like that's so sketchy. And I read, um, so the, the place that, did this uh-huh. was this was not what they were actually like they weren't trying to do this oh really so, it was an accident well kind i mean they knew what was going to happen but right the the facility what's it called the national ignitions facility yeah actually they're what they do is they safely ignite nuclear bombs gotcha to basically i think it was like test their safety and, and how well they're like degrading and stuff like that that is a terrifying job i know right and so they were basically the the use of a laser to do this is not like the the way that other scientists are trying to achieve oh. nuclear fusion power plants. They're using something else. I can't remember what it's called, but yeah, hopefully they'll be able to to do it and uh, longer we'll than see. a billionth of a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that would seriously change the world. All right, you All ready right. for the next one? Yeah, number five. Number five. A new microscope can take a 3D image of a cell while it's working in its natural environment. Whoa. Which is huge. 3D image of a cell. Yes. But what this does is it's the it's observing a living cell through a microscope. So it's using a sample. A sample is usually squeezed onto a glass slide. That's usually sure. like how you do it. It then just lies there calmly uh, and the cells are observed. The disadvantage is that this limits how the cell behaves and it only produces a two-dimensional di- image. 3D microscopes, they already exist. Like, I did not this know is that. Not new. <laughs> yeah, this is not like not new things, but they work really slowly and they give really poor results in images. Mm. The most common type works by recording pixel after pixel in a series, which are then assembled into a 3D image. Oh, so that must take a long time. Right. So it's not like watching it move. It's literally just taking a picture and then another picture. And waiting for the p- yeah, picture waiting, to assemble. Yes. And then it yeah. gets like a 3D okay. thing, which is normal. how normal 3D images are taken. True. I mean, that's how pictures and video is taken yeah. as well. It just can happen a little quicker. Than- yeah. And this takes time and often they can't handle more than one to five shots in a minute. Oh, okay. So it's not really practical. No. If you're going to photograph something that that's moving. So the University Hospital of Northern Norway. Shout out. Yeah. (laughs) 
is in development of this new technology. So among things, they work to understand and develop better treatment methods for various heart diseases. So they've been studying a living human heart. When you study a human heart, that's really challenging, um, both for technical reasons and not at least like, you know, there's also also ethical reasons why sure. it's very challenging. To you study. have to get the heart. Yes. And clearly it can't. It's hard to study a heart in a beating body. Yeah. In a live body. Yeah. Not under anesthesia or anything. Yeah. You know, like that, that's very challenging. Yeah. So researchers have used stem cells that are manipulated so they can mimic heart cells. And in this way, they can grow organic tissue that behaves as it would in a human heart. And then they can study and test this tissue to understand more about what's happening. Okay. So they are like really using this these 3D images to understand heart disease and study cells within their living actual environment rather than just getting a sample of heart tissue and putting it on a slide i mean that makes sense that's really cool yeah Hmm. i think it's just really fascinating because i mean it's like jellyfish from our very first episode we ever did where we talked about how jellyfish are under researched and understudied because you can't take them out of their environment yeah it's hard to research them outside of their environment because you can't they yeah they die (laughs) like you literally can't they turn into a plastic bag at that point yeah now that that I mean, it makes total sense. Like, how do you how do you research living heart cells when they're not like they're not in, in a living heart in a living heart beating yeah. blood? Like, <laughs> that's not uh, you're gonna get a really weird view of mm-hmm. those cells. And then, like you know, that you can always take an ultrasound of the heart, but that's still not the same as seeing it the functioning, actual, yeah. yeah, in yeah. real life. So, yeah. this is allowing them to potentially study. Um, heart disease and other potential things down the road as well amazing yeah also shout out to stem cells again yes i <laughs> think stem big. cells are going to save the world <laughs> yeah i think so too stem cells and fusion energy yes that's the future that is <laughs> um all right coming in at number six this one was a little uh it was still big news but a little less big news certainly okay. certainly was not the level of the james webb um but it was called dart did you hear about dart I think I did. Yeah. But I'm reading this. So okay. I remember <laughs> it after reading it. So this was NASA's first test mission for planetary defense. So DART, which stands for Double Asteroid Redirection Test. It's a mouthful. Yeah. Seeks to test and validate a method to protect Earth in case of an asteroid impact threat. The DART mission shifted an asteroid's orbit through kinetic impact, specifically by successfully smashing a spacecraft into the smaller member of the binary asteroid system Didymos. So So basically they launched a spacecraft at an asteroid (laughs) and smashed it into the asteroid to change the orbit of the asteroid. So we just created more space trash. Well, yeah, but (laughs) you know. So it launched in November of 2021 and it impacted the asteroid on September 26, 2022. That's kind of sick. Um, so it took almost a year to, to get where it needed to go. Um, and then NASA confirmed that the asteroid's orbit had been altered on October 11th, 2022. That's also honestly kind of cool. So to make this even cooler, there is video of it. They've, they've no videoed way. it happen. Um, but yeah, if you look up, you literally probably just Google DART video. It happens really fast. It's really? it's like all of a sudden the asteroid is there and it crashes into it and the video cuts. That was the first time they had tested that and they successfully altered asteroid. So if ever in the future 
there is an asteroid that they think is going to crash into Earth, they can hopefully push it out but the way. But it took them a year to get to it. Well, that's because they they sent it really far away. To a really far away. To one. a really okay. far away target. Makes sense. Number seven. Number seven. The reason for T-Rex little arms was discovered this year. T-Rex arms. Are discovered. I think this is the most important thing that we scientific discovery that's ever been made. <laughs> it's honestly hilarious. I, <laughs> I have to know. Scientists have spent decades debating the reason and purpose of T-Rex's arms and have never been able to settle on an acceptable answer. Previous hypotheses have suggested that their arms may have been used as pectoral claspers. Claspers. During mating oh. or to push up off the ground in the event of a fall, which doesn't really make sense <laughs> to me. That doesn't make any sense. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me, that one. They are definitely not pushing up off the ground no, with, those, with those little arms. Those little things. Come on. I feel like they'd break underneath them. Yeah. But the trouble with e- each of these is that the activities would have been better served by longer limbs. <laughs> so there's been no functional explanation explained why they would have evolved of such tiny, puny little grabbers. Little grabbers. But recently... There have been suggestions. Okay. We may have been thinking about T-Rex's arms all wrong. Oh, no. So a new hypothesis centered on the idea that them getting smaller was precisely the point. It was all part of the plan. Yeah. Really? The evidence that groups of T-Rex participated in communal feeding, not unlike some modern reptiles, and their arms may have been the target. Oh, they were eating their arms? Yeah, because they were all eating together. They were eating each other's arms. Oh, so this is saying they were eating together and their arms were getting in the way. Yeah, whether intentionally or unintentionally of another Rex's jaw. So they were, their arms were just flopping around and it was a feeding frenzy and they yeah. were losing arms. Yes, because they were they participated in communal feeding. Right. So one would stick their its arm out and like another one would bite it off another one was already like in chowing yeah and takes the arm off yeah so over time any benefit their arms presented was outweighed by the risk of getting bitten off by a peer oh my gosh so their arms of the t-rex shriveled because they were an evolutionary advantage to keeping them out of the way huh i shocked I also Can't think that's it. very interesting that they're saying T-Rexes participate in communal feeding. That because is interesting. tell me one movie where you have seen a pack of T-Rex. It's a terrifying visual. There, There's only ever one. That's in the true. Movie. They're always the like solitary. Yeah. You know, it's like a shark. Like, yeah. They just travel alone. They're alone. They're the apex predator that yeah. hunts alone. That's true. That is that like new, n- new knowledge as I well? I no idea. Because uh, I've never heard that. No. A terrifying thought to think about a pack of T-Rexes hunting together. You wouldn't stand a chance. No wonder it was a feeding frenzy. That's true. The, <laughs> eating each feeding, other's arms. arms. were just flying, limbs going everywhere. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's just really aggressive. Wow. That's like what's always been very confusing to me about T-Rex, honestly. Like, yeah. they're an apex predator, but you look at your arms and you're like, man, what are you doing with like, those? Come on, man. Those like, are just silly. Okay, number eight. Some more stem cell. Let's uh, go. Coming in. Lab-grown brain cells play Pong. So this one, uh, at least reading about it, though, it did seem like there was like a ton of controversy of like, you know, like the the, the um, scientists, the specific doctor was like really putting out some big claims that other his peers were like, mm, I don't know about that. Maybe just take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> so Dr. Brett Kagan of the company Cortical Labs 
claims to have created the first sentient lab-grown brain in a dish. He says it is able to take in information from an external source, process it, and then respond to it in real time. No way. Mini brains, which I guess are what they're called. Sure. Were first produced in 2013 to study microcephaly. Sure. A genetic disorder where the brain is too small. I haven't heard of that. That's, I haven't either. Yeah. It's a new one to me. Um, and they've since been used for research into just general brain development. But this is the first time that they have been plugged into and interacted with an external environment. In this case, a video game. I still understand how. Uh, so the research team grew 800,000 human brain cells from stem cells and some from mouse embryos. This feels really <laughs> screwed up. I'm sorry. And I understand the- <laughs> it's for science, but this feels really not okay. And then they connected that mini brain to a video game via electrodes. So basically the electrodes told the brain, it sent signals, electrical signals, based on where the ball in Pong was. If it was like on the right of the paddle or the left of the paddle. So the brain would get a different signal then the brain would fire back a signal that would place the paddle somewhere. That was how the signals were being sent and received. This hurts my brain. So (laughs) the mini brain learned to play in five minutes. What? It often missed the ball, but its success rate was well above just pure random chance. So they're saying like something had to be going on. Sure. Um, although it has zero consciousness, it does not know that it's playing Pong in the way that a human player would know that it's playing Pong. Mm-hmm. The researchers stress that, that there's no consciousness going on there. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, then it, you know, basically it said like other experts in the field described this work as very exciting. But like I said, they are skeptical and they think calling the brain sentient is a bit too far. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's exciting research, just that those things are being looked at. Yeah. But it does seem like they're making some big claims and like the way they achieved it, it it seemed very like not rigged to make it happen, but just like ultra best case, like setting it up exactly how it needed to be. Yeah. I, I don't know. So that's interesting. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it. That's really cool. It's awesome research and I'm glad someone is doing it, but yeah. I, it's very like, I don't know. I think for the for the future of like brain development knowledge, yeah. It's great research. Yeah. Right? But, you know, maybe just call it that. Don't don't try to yeah. make it seem like a little brain you grew is playing a video <laughs> game. But who knows? Whatever. Maybe man. we'll get the high score. That'd be kind of Become sick. like the, Become a pro. the Pong master. <laughs> Does it have to sleep? No, you just play nonstop, I bet. I bet. Crush that high score. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. All right, number nine. Number nine. We're kind of shifting. Uh, the world's largest active volcano woke up <laughs> again after almost 40 years of silence. Yeah. This was, it, it was the longest it's been silence. Yeah. So Hawaii's Mauna Loa vo- volcano is erupting. Big time. Uh, it's. I think it's still erupting. I think it's, yeah, it's still going on. It's still going. It, this just happened not long, not too long ago. No. It was like a month ago or so. Yeah. Yeah. The sleeping giant has been so quiet in the past um, that it's honestly scary that it's 
that it's erupting. Yeah, I right hadn't now. heard from it for a long time. Yeah, the, it's been napping. It was for taking a, a big nap. <laughs> That's it's honestly what it says right here. So it says historically <laughs> the Mauna Loa would awaken every seven years or so okay. on average. Oh, yeah. The last stretch between eruptions is quite a big gap. Sure. Or quite a big nap. The big nap. <laughs> yeah, it took a big nap. Yeah. But my big question was: Were there warning signs? That right. Mauna Loa was about to erupt. Right. Did anyone know? Yes. Because usually geologists have a very strong pulse on this. Yeah. It's pretty obvious that yeah, the, the ground, ground is will about start to shaking. Explode. Yeah. Yeah. So the scientist that was on this said, it depends on what you mean by warning. Ingrid Johansson. Ingrid is Johansson. The, the scientist talking yeah. about this. She said, it depends on what you mean by warning. In a manner of speaking, We've known that the Mauna Loa was showing signs of unrest since 2015. It was stirring. It was, it's been stirring. <laughs> yeah. At the time, she says, uh, there was an uptick in rate of local earthquakes as well as in the GPS observation of land deformation. So basically, there was a, a bulging upward of the land surface that indicates magma is on the move below the ground. Dude, that's terrible. Can you imagine watching like a volcano and being like, oh, it's bulging. Like it's literally could you bulging. Well, like, could you imagine just living there and being like, that hill is taller than it was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like a couple months ago. It was not, that, not big. that tall. Or like round. Or yeah, <laughs> it's like really just growing. What's happening there? It's terrifying. Um, but those signs actually tapered off a bit and then oh. increased again over the last six months. Okay. Which suggested to them that the situation was evolving. Okay. And not good that not it was good. evolving. Something was happening. Yeah, something was getting ready to happen. But when the volcano would actually erupt is basically impossible to determine. It's impossible to determine when any volcano is going to explode. Right. It's kind of like when you squeeze a baggie. It's true. Yeah. You don't know the exact moment of which it's going to explode, pop. but you can watch it begin to swell. Yeah. That's a good. Yeah. 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 But you don't know exactly when it's going to blow. Right. So um, it's pretty much impossible for them to, ter to determine when it's going to blow. But fundamentally, they had about an hour and a half of warning. Oh, wow. That was the time stamp between when researchers noted a, noticed a sudden, sudden swarm of earthquakes pointing to an imminent eruption and the emergence of lava. <laughs> the emer I feel like the emergence of lava is a pretty clear... Yeah. Once you start seeing I that. just think it's crazy that they were looking at and they were like, this thing's literally about to go. Then, we have an hour and... <laughs> like, there was an hour and a half... That's crazy. ...from when it was freaking out, the ground was freaking out, to yeah. it literally exploded. They also said that... The short notice is in true form of the Mauna Loa. Uh, other eruptions have evolved very quickly in the same matter of it. Okay. So, so they, like, were, they were used to it. Yeah. They were like, she gives us a very short notice, but it's very concerning that it's been silent for 40 years. I think that is crazy. That is very weird. I mean, just the <laughs> the like suspense that's built yeah. up that time of like, it's going to happen at some point. At some point. It has to. I feel like that's kind of like Yellowstone. People yes. keep talking about like, yes. it's just, you know, waiting for that. I feel like we should do an episode on. Oh, absolutely. At least volcanoes. Yeah. Because they're fascinating. Uh, I think it's really what's also really interesting to think about is 40 years. That means someone studying this volcano spent their whole career. Probably Wait, like waiting. multiple people just waited, yeah. waiting and waiting and waiting for this thing to erupt. And it just like never did. Never 40 did. years is a long time. That's that a is, lot of life. That's a lot of life. That's like you got your degree in volcanology. Yeah. And 
moved around to different volcanoes and found your way there and never and retired and yes. never saw it yes. erupt. Like even though everyone's like, yeah, every seven years you see it a ton, and it never did. So scientists reported yesterday that the world's largest active volcano is no longer producing lava. Oh, nice. That is moving outside and down the mountain. Okay. But the rift zone may still be active. Okay, so don't don't go there. Don't go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might have gone to this volcano. It's a very common one to go to. Because I, uh, many years ago, went on a trip with my family to Hawaii. We went to the Big Island and went to, like, Volcano National Mm -hmm. Park or whatever. Yeah. And I would assume that this is that. Yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't really doing anything at that time. Yeah, so as of December 12th, it is no longer... Okay exploding it's no longer a massive threat very interesting if we have any listeners from hawaii let us know let us know what, okay. what's up <laughs> yeah <laughs> how's it going there is a breakfast diner i don't know what it's called <laughs> on the big island uh-huh. of hawaii just outside of oh, what is that airport called this tiny airport that we flew into that mm-hmm. was like an outdoor airport best breakfast ever though really? so good I'll yeah, have to check it out fresh, if I ever go. Really great. Noted. Um, okay, the last one. Round us out. Coming in with some space. Of course. The big space. Big, big space. I mean, James Webb was, was huge. It was a big year for space. It was a big year for space. Yeah, and hopefully it's going to get even bigger the next couple That's, years. If everything goes to plan, yeah. the next couple of years, it's just going to get even bigger. So, yeah, couldn't round out the year without talking about Artemis. Space. NASA's Artemis program Mm -hmm. that is their new space program. Like we talked about Apollo earlier. This is the next iteration. Artemis. Artemis 1 was the first integrated launch of NASA's deep space exploration systems, which is the Orion spacecraft, space launch system rocket, and the ground systems at the agency in Kennedy Space Center in Florida. So it's all all of that is like a whole new system they've built set up to do these new new missions. It's crazy. It is the first in a series of increasingly complex missions. Um, Artemis One will demonstrate the performance of both Orion and the SLS rocket and test the capabilities to orbit the moon and return to Earth. Now I wrote this a couple of like a week ago. So this is how they're back. Yeah, they're it, back. It's, I wrote this before they had come back. So everything is like, it will do it. Well, it's done it. It did it. <laughs> yeah. This flight will pave the way for future missions to the lunar vicinity, including landing the first woman and first person of color on the surface of the moon. Woo. Which is huge. Yeah. It is massive. The Orion spacecraft launch on November 16th, and it will splash back down on Earth on December 11th. So it did that. It did that. Yay. It was a success. This was a cool fact. Every state in the United States has contributed to building Artemis. Really? So they had a map on... This is everything. All this just came straight from NASA. Cool. They had a map that literally, yeah, there is some form of factory part something. That is so cool. From every single state in the United States. What did Alaska contribute? I have no idea. I didn't read through every <laughs> they, state. They I did go and look at the oil. I looked at Utah and I it was something to do with the thrusters, the oh, rocket cool. thrusters. Well, they tested it here. Yeah, they tested the thruster mm-hmm. here first before Which is so cool. shipping it to uh Florida. Yeah, I mean basically everything they're hard at work to they want to establish a long-term human presence at mm-hmm. the moon. That's the goal. 
work is already big time underway for Artemis 2, which will hopefully launch. I had originally 2023. I think the new date is in 2024. Makes there's sense. there's so, not an actual date yeah. yet, but um, and that will take astronauts into lunar orbit. It'll basically be the same mission. Yeah. But this time there will be people aboard. That's so cool. And then Artemis 3, which again, no date because that will depend on Artemis 2. Yeah. I think will actually land people on the moon. That's amazing. You know, we did a whole episode about the history of space flight. I'm a huge space nerd. <laughs> the amount of movies and just stuff I've read about the space race, you know, yeah. those people got to see that happen. And now to actually see that happen like again. Like we're watching it happen. We're watching it happen again in our lifetime. Which I think is something that none of us really expected. Uh, yeah. I mean, the space program was pretty quiet for a long time. Yeah. And did not have this, this the same funding that it used to. Mm-hmm. And so now, you know, seeing it churn up again and, and get that going again. It's exciting. It's so exciting. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that like if everything goes to plan, you know, we could see Mars it, not too long, you know, yeah. Yeah. 30s, maybe 2030s. Yeah. Monday, we'll be talking about that in the year wrapped the up. The year wrapped up, man. <laughs> in, in like 20 years. We'll be like 50 years. We'll, we'll be so old. We'll be rolling out in our wheelchairs. Yeah, like, literally. Let me tell you, kids. Well, let's tell you about Abra back in our day. <laughs> That'd be crazy. Yeah. But that's that's the year. That's the year. Those are the things that Josh and I found interesting that yeah. some were hot news, some weren't hot news. and All pretty hot. I mean, for the most part, it's all, like I said, like all something that's like, this is building to a better, better future. future. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Guys, if you like the podcast, yeah, please. leave us a rating and review helps us out it does so much also send us your podcast ideas uh to the email yeah because after this we're just gonna keep it going podcast ideas yeah fan listeners submitted mm-hmm. we've already like laid out a couple for the next year as long as you keep sending them we're gonna keep keep doing keep it keep doing them so. maybe eventually we'll have to go back to josh and i's ideas we might. But <laughs> that's gonna be a dark time please don't let us do the that. quality and ideas is really gonna it's tank. gonna really tank yeah. it's gonna be really bad <laughs> really bad well, I feel like we should start go planning for next year. I think so. We should we should go write out the next couple and uh, see where the next year takes us. All right, well, guys. Well, we'll see you in the new year. Yeah. Hope you had a great holiday season yeah. and just a great 2022. And we'll see you in 2023. Yoo! Yay! Bye, Science Pals. Bye, everyone. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.